welcome to the Urology COVID Lecture Series podcast brought to you by the UCSF Department of Urology. In today's episode, we have Dr. Vadim Koshkin from the University of California, San Francisco, talking about immunotherapy for bladder cancer. Hello, everyone. My name is Vadim Koshkin. I'm an assistant professor at the University of California, San Francisco, and a genitourinary medical oncologist. And I am happy today to uh, present on this topic, which is immunotherapy for bladder cancer, um, as part of the urology COVID lecture series. Uh, This is, of course, a very, very important topic and uh, one that um, I'm very interested in. So I hope that uh, this uh, will will be useful. To start out, here are my disclosures. And um, starting out with the outline of the lecture, um, in discussing the role of immunotherapy in bladder cancer, I will start out by uh, discussing the current treatment landscape in metastatic bladder or urothelial cancer. I will then go on to discuss immune checkpoint inhibitors um, in um, uh, specifically in the metastatic space. starting maybe not uh, initially from the very beginning, but from um, a space that is most familiar to the medical oncologist, since I am one. Uh, And then I will sort of cycle back to um, the use of immunotherapy and immune checkpoint inhibitors in other bladder cancer treatment settings, um, specifically uh, in non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, uh, where uh, checkpoint inhibitor is also approved, and then also in the perioperative space, uh, clinical trials for muscle invasive disease, and also adjuvant therapy trials. Uh, finally, at the end, I will discuss the side effects and tolerability of immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment, and I will wrap up with uh, the summary of current uh, um, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor landscape in bladder cancer and some of the future directions um, uh, of this uh, uh, very important space. To start out, um, it's useful to just uh, put up um, sort of the big picture slide of the disease and treatment settings in uh, bladder and urothelial cancer. Of course, most patients um, are diagnosed with non-muscle invasive disease and start out there under the care of the urologist. Um, This is limited to, uh, of course, TA or T1 disease, I'm sure most of the audience would know, typically is managed by urology with uh, TRBTs and intravesicular, uh, intravesical, I should say, treatments like BCG. but increasingly, medical oncologists are becoming involved in this space as well, now with the, with the approval of pembrolizumab in this um, disease and treatment space, will, which I will discuss a bit more later on. Um, uh, and, um, uh, well, additionally, it should be mentioned that BCG itself is, of course, a form of immunotherapy. I won't really discuss it as such as part of this lecture, focusing really mostly on immune checkpoint inhibitors. However, should be kept in mind that, of course, immunotherapy or a form of immunotherapy, which is BCG, has been a part of bladder cancer treatment for several decades now. It's important to not forget that uh, because uh, that is what really um, inspired and led to the development of 
further uh, or other immunotherapy treatments in, in bladder cancer. Uh, well, as I mentioned, most patients uh, are diagnosed with non-muscle invasive disease. Most are treated in this space. Some still end up progressing to muscle invasive disease or are diagnosed at that stage. Um, at this point, um, uh, bladder cancer is still organ confined, but invades the muscle wall of the bladder, which uh, makes it essentially a systemic disease, which should be treated systemically. And this is a space of vital collaboration between uh, medical oncology and urology, also with radiation oncology, with um, uh, uh, chemoradiation or trimodality approach being an important um, part of the treatment here as well. Uh, the uh, gold standard of care though, and what most patients get for muscle invasive bladder cancer is cystectomy and pelvic lymph node dissection, which of course is preceded by neoadjuvant cisplatin-based chemotherapy for those patients who are eligible. Now, increasingly immunotherapy regimens are being attempted in this space as well as part of the clinical trials, uh, particularly focusing on patients who are cisplatin ineligible. Uh, patients with high risk at the time of cystectomy are eligible for adjuvant treatment and often undergo this as well. Um, and that, that is becoming an important um, space for checkpoint inhibitors also. But then ultimately, uh, patients who progress to metastatic disease, so um, uh, really disease that is no longer organ confined, but has spread to at least uh, the lymph nodes and uh, possibly beyond, uh, those are the patients where most of the immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment is really indicated. Now, the majority of patients diagnosed with bladder cancer do fortunately do not progress to this stage, and, and certainly only a small minority are diagnosed at this stage. Um, but of course, this is a very important space where the disease is very aggressive and where uh, the, the treatment intensity needs to match the aggressiveness of the disease. And that's, of course, a space where medical oncologists are typically involved. Now, here, um, outlined here, is uh, the current treatment landscape of patients with advanced bladder cancer. Again, broadly speaking, we divide patients into those who are eligible to receive cisplatin-based chemotherapy, those who are ineligible for cisplatin, but eligible for carboplatin, and patients who are ineligible for any platinum-based chemotherapy at all up front. Those are usually the older and more frail patients. Um, the distinction between cisplatin eligible and, and cisplatin ineligible usually is made, is made based on uh, renal function cutoff. That's what makes most patients cisplatin ineligible. However, other criteria, the Galski criteria are used as well. And of course, uh, that includes uh, grade two or greater neuropathy, grade two or greater hearing loss, uh, a significant heart failure or performance status of two or, or worse that also makes patients cisplatin ineligible. Patients who are eligible for either cisplatin or carboplatin receive platinum-based chemotherapy as a standard of care. Usually this means a combination of uh, gems in the metastatic setting of gemcitabine and cisplatin given for a total of four to six cycles. Sometimes other regimens such as dose-dense MDAC is given as well. Now, patients who uh, uh, have a response or at least stable disease, so some clinical benefit to platinum-based chemotherapy, now should receive maintenance, or I should say switch maintenance immunotherapy with a value map 
this is based on the results of our recent um, practice change in clinical trial, which we will go over in a bit. Uh, however, other patients who progress despite chemotherapy treatment, so for instance, progress during chemotherapy um, or shortly thereafter, also should receive immunotherapy treatment. There are five different, actually, immune checkpoint inhibitors that are approved in this in the platinum refractory setting. Uh, the only one with level one evidence of a randomized phase three trial, which we'll cover briefly as well, is pembrolizumab or Keytruda. Uh, additionally, selected patients who are ineligible for cisplatin, but basically carboplatin eligible, uh, but who have a high PDL1 status, are eligible to receive checkpoint inhibitor treatment as well with either pembrolizumab or atezolizumab approved again for PDL1 high patients in this situation. And finally, of course, patients who are altogether ineligible for platinum based therapy. Um, as long as they uh, are still eligible to receive treatment period and don't have specific contraindications to immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment are eligible to receive either uh, pembrolizumab or atezolizumab here as well. And this essentially just highlights that really at this point, where we stand today in, you know, in early 2021, um, uh, checkpoint inhibitors are really one of the cornerstones um, of treatment in metastatic bladder cancer. Basically, most patients in the uh, second line, often in the first line, will see a checkpoint inhibitor, most patients with, with advanced bladder cancer. And that is a significant change to even relative to about five years ago, of course. I should also highlight this arrow at the bottom of the slide, just showing that basically um, treatment uh, should be, uh, or I should say clinical trials should be considered at, at all points uh, of treatment of metastatic disease as well. And that's something we will go, go over a bit more later on as well. Uh, additionally, an important addition, I should say, is that uh, for molecularly selected patients, as patients with FGFR3 um, uh, alterations, that is FGFR3 mutations or fusions, um, those patients are eligible to receive erdofitinib in a platinum refractory setting. Erdofitinib is an oral targeted agent uh, specifically available for this patient population, which represents about 15 to 20% of uh, metastatic bladder cancer patients and is somewhat enriched uh, uh, in patients with upper tract disease, where it can be up to 40%. Um, this table here just highlights the, um, the different clinical trials and, the, and uh, um, supporting the use of immune checkpoint inhibitors in a platinum refractory setting, which I had just gone over. As I mentioned, five different agents are approved. These are uh, the drugs listed here, tezolizumab, pembrolizumab, nivolumab, durvalumab, avalumab. I list atezolizumab first because it was, it was the first immune checkpoint inhibitor approved in advanced bladder cancer, uh, or I should say advanced or metastatic disease. This was in um, May of 2016, so really less than five years ago at this point, almost coming up on five years. Um, I listed here first, however, the only drug with a positive phase three trial, as I mentioned, um, uh, is pembrolizumab. This was a phase three trial comparing uh, pembrolizumab to standard of, of or 
I should say second line chemotherapy in patients who had progressed and prior platinum therapy. Um, for pembrolizumab, this clinical trial was positive, as I will go over in a bit. A similarly designed clinical trial, phase three clinical trial for atezolizumab actually was, was a negative trial. Um, uh, and this is after this drug was initially approved based on um, results of a phase two trial, uh, which showed uh, promising outcomes relative to um, uh, historical data. Uh, three other agents that are approved, as I mentioned, are nivolumab, durvalumab, and avalumab. They aren't used as frequently in this platinum refractory space, but do have data to support it and an FDA approval uh, indicating that they can be used. Overall, um, just comparing across these, uh, these agents across the board, there is some difference in uh, dosing frequency where tezolizumab and Pembro can be given every three weeks. Um, uh, whereas the others, at least clinical trials, were given every two weeks. However, nowadays, the volumab is, it can often be given as a, every four-week regimen. Pembrolizumab actually is not available as an every six-week regimen. Um, so it uh, can be dosed less frequently if needed as well, which actually um, has become more relevant during uh, the current um, COVID pandemic or certainly earlier in 2020 when uh, well, both patients were more reluctant to come in, and of course, we were, uh, we as oncologists were also at least at, at one point more reluctant, I think, to have patients come in as well. Looking at objective response rates across the board, these really ranged anywhere from about 15, well, a bit less for tazolizumab, but generally between 15 and 20 percent of patients respond. This is uh, uh, response according to resist criteria. Generally speaking, about another I would say 20 to 30% of patients have stable disease, at least initially as best response, meaning that um, I would say, and what I quote to patients is about 50% um, of patients or so have some clinical benefit to uh, um, uh, second line checkpoint inhibitor therapy for bladder cancer patients who previously had progressed on a, a platinum-based regimen. Um, these responses are uh, somewhat enriched among uh, uh, patients whose tumors have uh, PDL1 um, uh, expression. Uh, however, responses are also seen in patients without, uh, whose tumors do not have PDL1 expression. So, in this treatment setting, we don't make a decision based on PDL1 status. Overall, the median overall survival um, was somewhere in the, I would say, eight to 10 month range. Uh, in these trials. This Dervalumab trial was a bit of an outlier. Um, again, the, the um, uh, phase one, uh, I should say level one data based on a phase three trial, is only available for pembrolizumab. And in that trial, um, uh, median overall survival of patient treated with pembrolizumab was just over 10 months. Uh, Treatment-related adverse events across the board are also somewhere usually in the 15 to 20% range, uh, potentially a bit less for Gervalumab and Avalumab based on these trials. Now, uh, specifically, I wanna highlight um, again, this phase three study of Pembrolizumab that um, uh, led to its approval in this treatment space. So this was uh, a Keynote 45 trial. Uh, so Pembrolizumab and Platinum Refractory Bladder Cancer that uh, basically randomized 
patients with platinum refractory metastatic or ethereal carcinoma to receive either pembrolizumab or um, investigators' choice of chemotherapy, which was paclitaxel, docetaxel, or in Europe, and flumine available as well. Um, primary endpoint was overall survival, and pembrolizumab um, uh, was favored over chemotherapy with initial hazard ratio of 0.73, which was statistically significant. Um, this, was, this data was initially presented at um, ASCO meeting 2017. Um, data was updated a couple of years later with um, basically a uh, uh, final um, uh, two-year update showing that at the two-year mark, um, uh, a number of patients actually were still on treatment with pembrolizumab, where the, uh, all patients on chemotherapy had progressed by then. Um, and the overall survival at, at two years was about double with pembrolizumab relative to investigator's choice chemotherapy. And about a quarter, or a little over a quarter, 27% of patients treated with pembrolizumab were still alive at that point. So uh, it does appear there is a, a significant tail to this curve here. Uh, which, which is important to note and an important thing to quote to patients. Now, in the front line, immune checkpoint inhibitors are also approved, at least two of them, that is atezolizumab and pembrolizumab. Again, these are patients who are ineligible for cisplatin, but um, eligible to re receive treatment and potentially eligible to receive carboplatin. Um, there were two... Um, phase two trials done, one for each drug, and uh, um, the details of these trials are basically highlighted here. The pembrolizumab trial was a bit, um, well, actually significantly larger, it was twice as big, uh, included a total of 370 patients. Um, this was a single arm trial, so uh, there's no um, comparator arm. Um, so the comparison was um, really, again, to um, uh, what can be expected with uh, you know, standard of care chemotherapy in this space. Protective response rate was uh, you know, 23% for tezolizumab, uh, about almost 29% for pembrolizumab, so a bit higher than in the uh, uh, platinum refractory setting, as you would expect. These are treatment-naive patients. Um, a bit lower, though, than um, you know, similar data compared, um, or uh, a bit lower than the data in this patient population treated with carboplatin, where responses of somewhere maybe 35 to 40 percent can be expected. However, this therapy is generally better tolerated than carboplatin. Also, not all of these patients were carboplatin eligible. That's important to know. Uh, furthermore, it's important to note that among patients with high PDL1 expression, uh, particularly in the pembrolizumab trial, the responses were much higher. So, patients with a combined positive score, combined positive PDL1 score of more than 10%, which is the, what's considered positive cutoff for the companion diagnostic test for pembrolizumab, their responses was, were 47%, um, so significantly higher than just the 29% overall response. Uh, for, for the overall population, I should say. Median overall survival was um, about a year for these patients. Uh, and uh, again, the, the grade um, three or four treatment-related adverse events were what you would expect. So again, somewhere in the 15 to 20% range here. 
now moving on to switch maintenance uh, uh, immune checkpoint inhibitor therapy in metastatic epithelial cancer. Uh, this was uh, studied in the Javelin Bladder 100 trial. Uh, this trial included a different patient population. So these were patients who uh, were treated in the, so, so patients with metastatic urethelial cancer who were treated in the front line with um, uh, four to six cycles of platinum-based chemotherapy. So again, either cisplatinogen cytobine or carboplatinogen cytobine. They received uh, somewhere between four and six cycles and had a clinical benefit to this treatment. So had uh, response or stable disease. These patients were then randomized one-to-one -to, -one to receive standard of care at the time, which is best supportive care alone, or a value map treatment every two weeks with best supportive care. The primary endpoint was overall survival, and um, uh, the trial met this, uh, this primary endpoint, showing a significant overall survival benefit of a value map with best supportive care over best supportive care alone. Um, and this benefit was uh, by more than seven months, which is really the largest overall survival benefit seen in any uh, metastatic bladder cancer trial to date. Hazard ratio was 0.69. So uh, this is a um, uh, statistically significant result. One of the criticisms of this trial was that um, a lot of the patients in the best supportive care arm uh, were not able to receive subsequent immunotherapy. Um, this is due to many of these patients enrolling in Europe where um, essentially because there, was, there wasn't a crossover in this trial, um, they uh, were not able to receive it as standard of care. Um, despite this criticism, um, uh, this does remain a very important trial because although it, it then it did not specifically look at this question of uh, early immunotherapy versus late immunotherapy, it looked at the question of giving immunotherapy versus not giving immunotherapy immediately after um, deriving clinical benefit from platinum-based chemotherapy. Uh, it's clear that there is benefit to uh, a Valumab in this space. It remains a question whether this is a class-specific benefit or the drug-specific benefit. So could you use another checkpoint inhibitor, so one that you would dose less frequently, for instance, in this space? I would say there remains an open question. There was a similar Pembrolizumab trial in this space that um, uh, showed progression-free survival advantage, but not an overall survival advantage. Um, however, it was a much smaller trial, so potentially was underpowered to detect that difference. Be that as it may, this trial established Avalumab as the standard of care switch maintenance therapy for patients who uh, receive platinum-based chemotherapy for metastatic urethelial cancer in the front line, um, and then should receive Avalumab um, if they have stable disease or response to this treatment. And this, this is now the new standard of care. So this again, uh, uh, this data fills out, again, this slide that I showed earlier, showing again immune checkpoint inhibitors as one of the cornerstones of treatment for metastatic bladder cancer at this point. There are um, 
um, several studies supporting the use of immune checkpoint inhibitors for uh, patients who, whose tumors are refractory or progress on platinum-based treatment. Um, again, this, the, the drug we use most commonly in this space at this point is pembrolizumab, which is the only uh, drug of the five checkpoint inhibitors approved with uh, phase three data. Uh, for patients who do, do derive benefit from treatment, so have stable disease or response, uh, switch maintenance of Valumab should be used. Patients who um, do not get platinum-based chemotherapy in, in the front line are eligible to get either pembrolizumab or atezolizumab, again, based on um, also uh, uh, prospective data from non-randomized phase two trials um, showing um, you know, pretty robust activity with, with uh, either drug in this space. Um, and again, as I mentioned earlier, clinical trials really should be considered across the spectrum of treatment of metastatic cancer. And with that in mind, um, I highlight here that really um, bladder cancer treatment in recent years has really been a very uh, dynamic and rapidly evolving space. This lists not even all, but, but, but some of the more important recent advanced registration trials or registration trials in advanced urothelial cancer. Um, many of these trials have completed enrollment and read out because here we are now in the first quarter of 2021. And uh, we will go over a few of these results now. Importantly, um, in the uh, frontline treatment space of metastatic urothelial cancer, Several trials have um, uh, looked at alternate regimens or alternate combination treatments to attempt to supplant the use of um, platinum-based chemotherapy as the main approach. The main, these main five trials are highlighted here. Generally speaking, these trials all had a standard of care um, chemotherapy arm. This is, uh, this is platinocarboplatin with gemcitabine across the board. And they compared this uh, standard of care arm to combination of chemotherapy with immunotherapy, immunotherapy, immunotherapy combinations, or uh, single agent uh, immunotherapy. Um, and uh, I will go into somewhat greater detail for, for some of these trials. So Keynote 361 was the pembrolizumab trial in this space. So it um, randomized patients with advanced or metastatic urothelial cancer uh, into one of three arms. So the randomization was one to one to one to receive either pembro with chemotherapy combination pembrolizumab alone, or uh, uh, chemotherapy alone. Um, again, and again, both uh, cisplatin uh, eligible and cisplatin ineligible patients who received carboplatin were enrolled in this trial. The trial was, was negative. The primary endpoint was overall survival in the intent to treat population comparing pembrolizumab with chemotherapy, so this first arm, with chemotherapy alone. And um, though numerically, the overall pembro and chemo combination was somewhat more favorable 
this difference was not statistically significant and did not meet the, the predetermined endpoint. Um, therefore, the trial did not show the immunotherapy chemo combination to be superior to current standard of care of platinum-based chemotherapy. Similarly, the Danube trial was also a negative study. This study randomized patients also to receive standard of care chemotherapy and compared this to um, not a chemoimmunotherapy combination like the prior trial, but two different immunotherapy regimens, one with just uh, a checkpoint inhibitor monotherapy, so dervalumab is an anti-PDL1 agent, uh, or a combination of dervalumab and tremolimumab. Uh, the co-primary endpoint uh, was um, the, uh, is shown here was the uh, um, overall survival uh, comparing dervalumab versus chemotherapy, specifically in the PDL1 high population, or dervalumab with tremolimumab versus chemotherapy in the intent to treat population. In both cases, um, uh, the, the hazard ratio was not that impressive. It was above 0.8 and um, uh, was not statistically significant. So again, this was a negative trial presented at um, last year's ESMO conference. Finally, there's the Invigor 130, which uh, was a similarly designed trial of tezolizumab. It also randomized patients into three arms, which not all of which I showed here, but basically arm A was atezolizumab with chemotherapy. Arm C was placebo with chemotherapy. Those were the two main arms compared. There was another arm B, which is, was just atezolizumab, so um, a, a immunotherapy monotherapy. Um, the progression-free survival uh, was the um, uh, was actually the the primary endpoint, um, and that was significant. So it showed a a PFS benefit in the intent to treat population of atezolizumab with um, uh, uh, chemotherapy versus uh, chemotherapy alone, basically chemotherapy with placebo. Uh, the clinical uh, overall clinical benefit was slight. It was less than two months, but this was statistically significant. However, um, in the overall survival analysis of the same comparison, um, this did not meet the predetermined um, efficacy uh, endpoint. Um, therefore, this trial did not show an overall survival benefit of adding atezolizumab to uh, platinum-based chemotherapy versus um, just platinum-based chemotherapy alone or, or with placebo. Um, so to, to summarize again, then uh, adding it to Zolizumab improved progression-free survival, but not overall survival. Thus, um, although this was a partially positive trial, I should say, it was not a practice-changing trial. And certainly in um, where we stand today, the frontline um, uh, treatment of choice remains chemotherapy alone, not combination of chemo and immunotherapy. So uh, with these important frontline immune checkpoint inhibitor trials in metastatic urothelial cancer, we highlighted the first three 
again, the Kino 361 and Danube, which were, were negative, Invigor 130, which met one of its primary endpoints, but showed only a progression-free survival benefit, not an overall survival benefit. So overall, I would say largely was also a negative trial. Uh, therefore, in all these trials, the comparison of the, the important combination arm, these arms here, with standard of care chemotherapy did not show an overall survival benefit. However, there are two other trials, one from um, uh, one of, from the Checkmate series that includes nivolumab and uh, ipinevo, and the Nile trial, which is another AstraZeneca trial similar to Danube, this company names their trial after Rivers. Um, and uh, here, whereas Danube compared standard of care chemotherapy to different immunotherapy regimens, Nile compared standard of care chemotherapy to combinations of chemo and immunotherapy. The, this trial, Nile, is yet to read out, as is Checkmate 901. So these are um, data that uh, you know, we're awaiting pretty anxiously. Um, I should highlight also that some of these trials um, did show more intriguing data for pdl one positive patients, specifically comparing immune checkpoint inhibitors and chemotherapy used in, in the frontline treatment setting. In the Danube trial, the combination of dervalumab and tremolimumab in comparison with chemotherapy, specifically in the pdl one high patient population, did show an overall survival benefit. Again, this was one of the secondary endpoints, but nevertheless was, was pretty intriguing, suggesting that this specific patient population of pdl one high patients may benefit more from this immunotherapy combination than they do from chemotherapy. Similarly, in the Invigor 130 trial, again, comparing atezolizumab with chemotherapy, in the same pdl one high patient population shown here in this panel, um, on the right, there was a trend towards um, uh, improved overall survival in patients receiving uh, atezolizumab rather than um, uh, chemotherapy, uh, which did not quite meet statistical significance, uh, but uh, did have an impressive hazard ratio and potentially did not meet the significance due to the, you know, the, the numbers being small as this was a subset analysis. Um, I should also say that a similar comparison in the uh, uh, Kino 361 trial comparing Pembro and chemo in PDL1 high patients was negative. So there's some intriguing data that maybe a combination of immunotherapy such as Derva and Tremi, which is again a, a PDL1. Um, drug and the CTLA-4 inhibitor, um, this combination may be favorable in pl one high population relative to chemotherapy. But again, that's, that is something that's, um, uh, I would say, not yet practice changing in this patient population, something that should be investigated further. Um, again, uh, going back to um, the slide I keep returning to, which is the current landscape for patients with advanced urethelial cancer. Now I've also added some uh, subsequent therapies. So therapies we use even beyond the, the second line uh, treatment, which typically is an immune checkpoint inhibitor. Here we have a couple of um, uh, targeted agents available, including infortinavidotin, which is available uh, for all comers in a non-selected patient population as 
and also, as I highlighted earlier, ertafitinib is a drug that's available um, after progression with platinum-based chemotherapy or after platinum and immune checkpoint inhibitors for selected patient population, those with FGFR2 or 3 uh, mutations or fusions. Um, these drugs, um, infortimab, um, and also ertafitinib and similar drugs, are increasingly used in the frontline treatment space as well as part of uh, different clinical trial regimens. In particular, um, the space of interest for many clinical trials are these patients here, patients who are ineligible for cisplatin and have to um, um, usually receive carboplatin or, or can't even get that potentially. Um, the outcomes with carboplatin relative to cisplatin are certainly inferior. In part, that could be because these are just sicker patients. Um, it's obviously hard to compare these two directly. Um, but all in all, this highlights the specific clinical need in this patient population for uh, more effective and also better tolerated regimens. Many of the recent trials have focused specifically on this space, the cisplatin ineligible frontline space. I highlight some of these trials here. Um, an important trial uh, for frontline patients uh, with uh, advanced or metastatic urethelial cancer has been EV103. EV here stands for the drug I mentioned earlier, infortimab vidotin, uh, which is a um, antibody drug conjugate. It's an antibody targeted against Nectin-4, which is expressed in urethelial cancers. It is uh, linked to a chemotherapy agent that uh, when the antibody attaches to the antigen expressed on the urethelial cancer cells, it is internalized into the cell. The, the link uh, between the, the, the antibody and the chemotherapy agent is broken, and uh, releasing the chemotherapy agent that, that um, uh, damages cell DNA and destroys the cell. That's how the drug works. Um, it is currently the standard of care in the, uh, as third-line treatment for advanced bladder cancer, but increasingly uh, potentially is being moved into earlier treatment spaces as well. This trial um, included various cohorts combining infortimab with uh, uh, various other treatment combinations. Well, the, one of the more active combinations that's read out thus far has been combination of EV and pembrolizumab. Um, checkpoint inhibitor, which uh, in the 45 patients treated produced very robust response rates with overall objective response rate of 73%, disease control rate of uh, up to 90%. Um, this uh, success of this cohort led to it being expanded to a larger cohort that is now randomized in this trial and is randomizing patients to receive EV infortimab monotherapy versus combination of infortimab and pembrolizumab. Uh, additionally, it informed uh, the design of uh, now a phase three trial, randomizing patients one-to-one -to, -one to receive, again, the current standard of care chemotherapy in the frontline space or this combination of V and pembrolizumab. Uh, I highlight here also a number of other trials available in the frontline space, specifically for cisplatin-ineligible patients. 
patients with IPL1 expression are being investigated or were investigated uh, in a pivot 10 trial, which finished accrual. Uh, that was a combination of Nivolumab and pegylate IL-2, IL um, Nectar-214 drug. There's also a LEAP-11 trial, which is uh, comparing Pembro to Pembro and Lumbatinib. For FGFR3 altered patients here, um, there are also a number of trials uh, generally combining an FGFR3 inhibitor, such as erdafitinib or similar, with a checkpoint inhibitor. And some of these are larger randomized trials. Overall, the future directions in the treatment of metastatic urethelial cancer are that immune checkpoint inhibitors, which are now pretty established as um, standard of care, is roughly in the second line and sometimes in the front line, um, are increasingly going to be moved in probably earlier in the treatment course of many patients with metastatic disease, potentially in combination with other active agents. Thus far, combinations of immune checkpoint inhibitors and chemotherapy when studied in prospective clinical trials have been disappointing, have not outperformed chemotherapy alone. But other combinations may be more successful, such as the sinfortimab and pembrolizumab combination. So stay tuned for the results of those trials. We need improved biomarkers to select patients most likely to benefit from treatment. PDL1 expression is, is a helpful biomarker, um, but needs a lot of work. Um, it is something we can use sometimes, but um, I would say is certainly, certainly an imperfect biomarker. Uh, will there be others? That, that remains an active um, area of research. And increasingly, um, even going earlier than metastatic disease, immune checkpoint inhibitors may be used uh, in those treatment spaces as well. And that will be um, the focus of uh, some of the remainder of my talk. Uh, going all the way back to the beginning now, because as I said, we've gone somewhat in reverse, starting with metastatic disease here. For non-muscle invasive disease, uh, pembrolizumab or Keytruda is actually an FDA-approved standard of care agent now for BCG refractory disease. This is based on the results of the Keynote 57 trial, which is a phase two study enrolling patients who are BCG refractory, uh, uh, for whom the standard of care would be radical cystectomy and who were either unfit for or declined radical cystectomy. Trial had two cohorts. Cohort A included patients with carcinoma in situ, uh, with or without papillary disease, and cohort B, which did not include patients with carcinoma in situ. Uh, the results of cohort A were reported now about a year and a half ago, at the end of 2019. Um, again, these patients were treated with pembrolizumab um, uh, for uh, the uh, the uh, the um, uh, duration of uh, a, uh, a year um, and uh, were regularly assessed with cystoscopies. Uh, complete responses noted at three months were um, about 40%, 40% of patients had a complete response. And um, most responses were durable. So about 50% of the patients maintained their response at nine to 12 months post uh, the initial CR. 
Um, and based on these promising data, the, the pembrolizumab was approved as a systemic therapy for patients with um, BCG refractory, non-muscle invasive uh, bladder cancer. This approval came in early 2020, so it's been about a year now that patients have been, uh, eligible patients have been treated with this therapy. In the uh, muscle invasive disease space, so patients um, who are indicated for surgery and uh, should receive um, cisplatin-based chemotherapy prior to radical cystectomy, there have also been a number of trials that have looked at uh, immunotherapy regimens in this space. I highlight some of these trials in this table here. Um, uh, as um, you see here, various drugs have been investigated, including uh, um, immunotherapy monotherapy with atezolizumab or pembrolizumab and the Abacus and Pure One trial, respectively, combination immunotherapy, Ipinevo and Nabucco trial, um, and also combination of um, checkpoint inhibitor and chemotherapy. There is the, um, this uh, 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 Hoosier Oncology Group trial um, of uh, pembrolizumab with gemcitabine for cisplatin-eligible patients and pembrolizumab with uh, cisgem for cisplatin-eligible patients. There's also the BLAST study uh, looking at also similar um, combination of NEVO with um, chemotherapy. Overall, the you know, response rates produced in these trials um, were comparable to what um, um, is uh, seen with standard of care chemotherapy. By response rate specifically, I'm referring to rates of uh, complete pathologic response. So at the time of surgery, uh, pathologic stage of T0, N0. This was seen in anywhere from low 30s to um, high 40s. In, in these trials. Uh, as a reference for standard of care cisplatin-based chemotherapy, pathologic complete response rates in clinical trials are generally somewhere in the 30 to 40% range. The pivotal trial um, uh, that established this as a standard of care had it um, somewhere in the high 30s. The downstaging rates, that is not achieving complete pathologic response, but downstaging to lower than um, muscle invasive disease, so basically uh, less than or equal to T1 and zero. In these trials, that was seen anywhere from about 40 to um, about 60%, so also quite impressive. These are all um, uh, uh, single arm, basically phase two trials. Um, so the data is preliminary. There are on ongoing randomized phase three trials that potentially may impact standard of care in this space. Again, particularly for patients with uh, who, who are cisplatin ineligible and for whom there is currently no uh, approved or available systemic therapy here. Finally, I will also cover uh, immune checkpoint inhibitors as having a role in, in adjuvant therapy in bladder cancer. Three large phase three trials have um, uh, uh, enrolled patients up to this point, and two of them have already read out. This was the Invigor 10 study with adjuvant atezolizumab versus observation and Checkmate 274, which is adjuvant nivolumab in comparison with placebo. The ambassador trial of adjuvant pembrolizumab versus observation is still accruing. 
Vigor 10, um, again, randomized patients with high-risk diseases at the time of cystectomy defined here to receive either atezolizumab or observation, so not a placebo-controlled trial. Primary endpoint was disease-free survival with a key secondary endpoint of overall survival. This was a pretty negative trial. The curves are basically right on top of each other. Um, the disease-free survival hazard ratio was 0.89, it was not statistically significant. Um, and uh, the interim overall survival analysis was, um, was, was also not significant. It did not show a benefit of atezolizumab. Um, Patients with high PDL1 status also did not have more of a benefit, um, in fact, had a less variable hazard ratio in this trial. So this, this was a pretty negative, negative trial, um, not showing a benefit of tezolizumab in this space. In contrast, the Checkmate 274 study um, was similarly designed and looked at uh, nivolumab versus placebo. So that, that was actually, there was a major difference in that the previous trial was uh, in comparison with observation rather than placebo controlled. But uh, the patient population was, was similar. So patients with high-risk disease at the time of radical cystectomy. Um, so it was, uh, if they had prior treatment, the uh, T2 was allowed. Um, if they did not have prior chemotherapy treatment, then it had to be T3 or T4. And in either case, no positive patients were, were included. The Checkmate 274 study was just presented literally um, within the last two weeks at the ASCO-GU meeting and uh, did meet its primary endpoint of disease-free survival. It showed a benefit of nivolumab versus placebo with uh, a pretty robust hazard ratio of 0.7. Uh, a lot of the benefit, a lot of this benefit was driven by pdl one positive patients where hazard ratio was much more impressive 0.53. Um, this is, again, brand new data, so has not yet um, uh, led to um, any changes in regulatory approval um, and potentially might, although, again, that, that remains to be seen. Um, as of right now, this is, uh, these are some of the approved indications of checkpoint inhibitors in bladder cancer. As I mentioned, in non-muscle invasive disease, pembrolizumab is approved for uh, uh, patients who are BCG refractory. A uh, number of trials are ongoing in muscle invasive bladder cancer in this space, uh, but no agents are yet approved. Uh, based on the positive results from the Checkmate 274 study, potentially nivolumab will be approved, but that is not the case yet. So no adjuvant therapy, no adjuvant immunotherapy is approved as of right now. And really, most of the use for checkpoint inhibitors in the treatment of, of bladder cancer remains for metastatic or, or locally advanced disease. So more advanced disease, where as I mentioned, five different agents are approved, but pembrolizumab is really the workhorse there. Finally, uh, before wrapping up, I'll just um, mention a few things about tolerability of immune checkpoint inhibitor treatment. Of course, immune checkpoint inhibitors can have a variety of systemic side effects. It is um, a, a robust systemic therapy that can affect really any organ in the body. Um, this schematic here just shows some of the examples. The, the main things I discuss with patients when discussing checkpoint inhibitor treatment um, are uh, severe side effects such as colitis, 
pneumonitis and uh, uh, endocrinopathies. Other rare things can occur as well, um, such as, um, uh, for instance, nephritis and, 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 and others, uh, including neuro, uh, neurosystem side effects um, uh, listed here. Um, most patients, this does not happen to. Most patients actually tolerate these treatments quite well. As I mentioned in earlier slides, the grade three uh, to four adverse events occur in only uh, somewhere between 15 and 20% of patients, which is not an insignificant number, but not the majority of patients. And I highlight this to patients, but while still highlighting the importance of bringing any new symptoms to you know, the attention of their treating physician, because the key here is always um, to monitor closely and intervene early. Um, the side effects are really managed based on, well, the, the specific side effect, but generally speaking, something like a grade one adverse event, you can continue immunotherapy for, for grade two, you usually delay it and um, yeah, you know, treat the responsible condition. For grade three or four is where you would really uh, consider and probably end up stopping immunotherapy. And then based on the specific side effect and how quickly it resolves, you can consider rechallenging later. But that really is a broader discussion. So to summarize, again, as I mentioned earlier, immune checkpoint inhibitors really have become one of the core cornerstones of treatment for advanced or metastatic peripheral cancer. They're increasingly moving into earlier treatment spaces as well. Um, now approved for BCG refractory non-muscle-invasive bladder cancer, that's pembrolizumab. They have a potential future role in, in the perioperative space, in the adjuvant space, and in, in um, the adjuvant space also, where for high-risk patients at the time of cystectomy, there um, is uh, now, as of just two weeks ago, there's a trial that has shown a disease-free survival benefit for nivolumab. Overall, immune checkpoint inhibitors are well tolerated, but they do require careful monitoring of potential side effects and the management of those side effects if they happen. And despite our you know, overall excitement about immune checkpoint inhibitors and their role in advanced bladder cancer, much work remains to be done. Uh, we still could do a much better job of of uh, identifying patients most likely to respond. And that means basically identifying better biomarkers of response. And uh, this along with um, finding more um, effective combination therapies potentially can also produce more, more durable responses and responses in a greater percentage of patients. And that is also an active area of investigation and something that you know going forward in the next let's say five to 10 years, hopefully we'll make um, significant inroads and improvement in. This concludes my talk. And I thank you again for, for your attention. And of course, uh, you know, welcome any, any questions should you have any. Um, again, this is a topic that you know, I feel is, is very important and certainly very, very important to my research and, and what I do and to many patients that I treat. So uh, certainly welcome and welcome any questions on the matter. And uh, also just as a quick reminder to um, uh, fill out the survey about today's lecture. Thank you very much for your attention and um, um, hope to uh, meet some of you in the future. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Learn more by visiting our website, urologycovid.ucsf.edu.